I think people who are in the Discord will, they'll be familiar with your name and your work. But for people who are listening to the podcast audio, watching this on YouTube, or maybe you're just a random stranger who found this stream, I, God knows how, I am talking with Paige KB. Paige is an artist based in New York. You have recently mounted solo exhibitions at Kajé and Blade Study, and you are featured in this cute exhibition at Somerset House, which is, I think, interesting and historic. And we're going to talk about that, as well as the exhibition that opened in Germany, and this kind of weird moment where art is intertwining with the internet. Yeah, anything I missed there in your intro? I'm also a writer. Had a, had a few different um, roles within the art world um, for a number of years. Yeah, I consider you to be someone who is very knowledgeable about the like formal official art world. So you have uh, extensive experience writing in a few different hats in the art world. You are also a member of Do Not Research. I think you were included in the 2021 to 2022 book. Yes. Yeah, so I guess we all kind of make art, we write, and some of us have to live stream. Uh, and now I forced it upon you, actually. So yeah, welcome. Welcome. I'm, bra I'm branching out. Do you want to tell us maybe a little bit about the show in London? And I'm going to share, I'm going to pull up on the stream here, these two very unusual influencer walkthroughs. But maybe, yeah, tell us a little bit about the show, and then I'll share my screen for the media. Yeah, so the show, it's called Cute, and it's based on surveying this aesthetic throughout contemporary culture, uh, through contemporary art, but also through things like fashion, music, uh, memes. It also crosses international boundaries. So it kind of talks about it as a development of a category in terms of American culture, sort of in, within the 19th century industrial age. And then also talks about the kawaii aesthetic in terms of Japanese culture, and then how those two have kind of converged at this point um, in terms of a globalized aesthetic revolving around the sort of values of cute. This is a rather unique exhibition as far as rosters of artists go. Uh, I'll just, I'll read out some of the names here. I'm not going to do all of them because there's like, I think, 30 artists in the show or something like that. But yeah, there's yeah, it's, I mean, it's extensive. We should be clear that the exhibitions we're talking about are massive. These are not like little tiny group shows in a project space. These are like big institutional exhibitions. In this one in particular, Cute at Somerset House, Hello Kitty is prominently featured <laughs> alongside other names that you may recognize. Mark Leckie, Mike Kelly, Ed Forniellis, a friend of the stream, actually. He's been on the stream to play Dungeons and Dragons a few times. Hannah Diamond, Juliana Huxtable, Rachel McLean, Julian Cicaldi, uh, Paige KB, uh, you're in the show, of course. Uh, Maggie Lee, Bunny Rogers, a whole variety of artists, many of which are from London, mostly from Europe and uh, Japan, it seems. Yeah, it's it's fairly international. Um, there's an artist, I believe, from Singapore as well. Um, there are a few different artists, but yeah, definitely a strong contingent of British artists, which the British press emphasized in the coverage. <laughs> Let me share some of the coverage here. I'm going to zoom out of my screen for a second. The thing that strikes me in particular about this exhibition is that when I first encountered it online, I was seeing these kind of influencer walkthroughs. I think maybe I saw it from you and maybe I was just served one of them by the algorithm. And I thought that it was some type of like immersive experience, you know, like the Van Gogh exhibition or the Klimt or I mean, there's like I pass a dozen of these just walking downtown now. This is like museum of ice cream type of thing. And then it pans from like Hello Kitty to like Mike Kelly Cafe, which I'll put yeah. in a it's separate just, video. This is, I've never seen anything like this. 
There's an exhibition about cute culture in London. The whole place is adorable. It celebrates Hello Kitty's 50th anniversary. There's a Hello Kitty disco, an arcade where you can play kawaii games, places to relax and immerse yourself in cuteness, and you can experience your own magical girl transformation. First, it explains the origins of kawaii, which I think is so interesting. It includes art and how cutes influenced other parts of our culture, both in Japan and in the West. It's also about how cuteness can make things more more friendly and can also become creepy and monstrous. It's on at Somerset House in London until the 14th of April 2024. I enjoyed it so much. There's also an adorable Hello Kitty themed cafe, which I'll put in a separate video. Billy went to the cute exhibition and no one there knew of you, Josh. Thank, thank you, Billy. I'm, got, I'm getting cyber bullied on my own stream here. <laughs> Let's watch this next cute one. At Somerset House is a massive I'm Time Out's art editor, and I've just been to the most adorable exhibition. Cute at Somerset House is a massive, trippy, ultra-colourful journey into the history of cuteness. There's plenty of family-friendly fun, including a Hello Kitty disco and a games arcade. But that cute facade hides a serious art heart. This is a show full of critical, clever art by people like PC Music's Hannah Diamond, Ed Fornielis, Mark Leckie and Rachel McLean. And that's the best stuff on display. Come for the kittens, stay for the art. Cute. <laughs> Paige, I've seen nothing like this as long as I've been doing this kind of thing, trying to figure out where Neither art would. and the I haven't meet. been doing your kind of thing. <laughs> it's, it's wild. What's no, really interesting. Yes. No, I'm glad you played particularly that Time Out London reel. So Time Out London is a publication, you know, it's actually a legacy publication. And they published a review of the show by the art editor, Eddie Frankel. So there's, you know, there's a proper review of the show. It was very right. positive. But then they also publish, you know, like this kind of content walkthrough, which is similar to the kind of content walkthroughs that these influencer type social media accounts are also posting. So I was very interested in the similarity from, mm. of that kind of publishing, that they were kind of playing both sides of it. And I think that's interesting because the show itself is playing both sides of it. The show has this um, whole like Hello Kitty section, which is the most published in terms of social media content aspect of the show, because Sanrio is a sponsor for the show. And so that's the part that sort of gets uh, repetitively circulated. But then there's other parts of the show that are a little less circulated within that sphere. But I think it's interesting because that's the thing that then maybe lure people into the show. Then they get hit with Mike Kelly. Then they get hit with Cosmo von Bonin. Um, <laughs> then they get hit with Mark Lecky. They get hit with me and Flannery Silva. In a way, I feel like the way the content, what the content is doing is very similar to the way um, I think the curators were kind of savvy about structuring the show in order to have something that where you have a Venn diagram, a very unique Venn diagram of this kind of uh, very appealing, uh, populist kind of social friendly content, which is accurate, I think, to the theme of the show of cute. But then it, it reels you in with that in order to hit you then with, with a more sophisticated idea. And I think this is true to how, the, like, what's written about in the catalog in terms of the essays, the fact that a scholar Shan Nye's book is sold in the gift shop at the show at the end. So, you know, you can buy a Pusheen nail file, and then you can also buy from Harvard University Press, Shan Nye's Our Aesthetic Categories from 2012. Huh, wow. Um, I've, so I've never seen anything, as you said, uh, I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, I, I can think of examples. I mean, I guess people always, they cite the art of Star Wars as being like the most populist exhibition at MoMA. This is like decades and decades ago. And then, you know, in living memory, I remember when the Tim Burton show opened, like 
Museums, you know, institutions periodically do stuff like this, but then this is extremely online. It's very visible. I mean, I think it's orders of magnitude greater than the visibility of any of those previous exhibitions. And then they also decided to put like real rigorous institutional canonized art alongside contemporary art and then all of these, uh, you know, obviously very popular things. So it's a, it's a rather unique thing and has become kind of a destination for tourists, tourists and influencers, I should say, which is uh, fascinating. Paige, do you want to tell us a little bit about the work that you have in the show? I had looked on the site, but they're very tight about install shots. I, I couldn't really find good documentation of the work that you have on view. Yeah, they haven't published installation shots of the show. Uh, I have two works in the show that were in my Blade Study solo show that was on view last May, May 4th through June 4th on Lower East Side. They had initially found my work through my Cause show, that I, a solo show that I did in 2022 at this project space, Cause in Brooklyn. I think they had found that because, well, the show is on Contemporary Daily, the install shots from that. But mm. also I'd cited specifically in the press release that I wrote for that show, Cheyenne Nye's, some of her ideas from her book are aesthetic mm. categories. So it was a direct through line from her theme. She talks about cute, zany, interesting as three aesthetic categories. And how these are sort of the um, aesthetics par excellence of contemporary capitalism. So I was focusing on the cute aspect of it. But so I have a painting in the show and then I have a sculptural, ready-made sculptural work, which is a chair that features a book that I wrote. It's my long, and it's also my longest form piece of writing. It's a 96-page book. It's a 20,000-word art history essay that I was commissioned by the artist Jay Chung in Kyutakeki Maeda. And it sat on the chair with uh, some ch dried cherry blossoms. And then it has these stuffed um, digi carrot animal feet, slipper feet at the at the feet of the chair. So it kind of it's combining um, a gesture of institutional critique related to what, what I'm writing about in that in that text with the cute aesthetic of the anime character goods. If you're not following Paige, I've got your Instagram on the stream here at Guilt Group. I'll put this on the screen for a moment. I was like, I remember seeing this online. Yeah, the feet are, uh, I have to say, very cute. <laughs> okay, um, well, this is, this is particularly interesting to me now because I've just returned from Berlin. I was over there for a whirlwind trip of like, I don't know, 48 hours, 72 hours, something like that. Really going over for this exhibition at uh, KW, Cave, uh, the Institute of Contemporary Art called Poetics of Encryption, which is curated by Nadim Saman. Uh, similarly, this is a massive group exhibition. I'm just scrolling through this on the stream that has 40 different artists. I'll just name, I'll name a few of the people here. Uh, Cluster Duck, myself, Kate Crawford, Nora Albadri, Simon Denny, Sterling Crispin, uh, New Models, Avon Franco Matez. How far, how far am I? John Raffman, Trevor Paglin, Daniel Keller, Rachel Rawson. There's like, I want to say that 20% of the exhibition has been on the podcast at some point. Uh, the curator himself, Nadim Saman, has been on the podcast. There's also a book that accompanies this, Poetics of Encryption, Art and the Techno Scene, which we, I think we put that out maybe two months ago or something like that. So um, fantastic book. I picked that up while I was over there. The show itself is a massive all four floors of the museum. If you're based in New York, I would say this is equivalent, maybe a little bit larger than the new museum, just to give you a sense of the scale. And it is one of the few exhibitions I've seen that really engages with the internet. This is an endless point of frustration for me in the last few years that obviously 
the internet, social media, and so on, technology in general is massively transforming society, not to mention AI and all the things that are rolling out that are like, you can just see how it's transforming work and socialization and uh, every aspect of life. And it just seems completely unremarked upon by most of the art world. There was a period maybe like, let's say, I don't know, eight years ago or something like that, where there was this very vibrant, emergent art where I think projects like Blade Study that you had mentioned before, Paige, I would say Sarah's, Don Kunsthal, there's like a little bit of programming now that feels thematically similar to that time that's really trying to engage with the internet. But as a whole, I feel like the art world has taken this approach of pulling the ladder up behind them in that institutions got worried that in the genre of photography, for example, if they allowed new media to come in, then very quickly, capital P photography would just become the internet. It would become a platform. They'd have to have animated GIFs and video and websites, and they'd muddy the distinctions of what gave them their medium and their institutional prestige and their space in the scarce budgets that are available for these things and the, the square footage of museums and so on. So there was a, a general reactionary turn in the art world. And yeah, it seems now that there's this giant show in London that seriously engages with the internet. A lot of these artists are people who are making digital work a few years ago, who make work that uh, involves like anime characters and things that you would frequently see on the internet. There's this massive exhibition in Berlin, the curatorial frame around this. I'll just give a very quickly a plug for the show. But Nadim kind of breaks this exhibition into largely three categories of black sites, which involves data leaks and secret organizations and uh, conspiracies and so on that, you know, thrive and flourish on the internet. There are black boxes, which relates to algorithms and AI. And then there are, of course, black holes, which these rabbit holes and spaces, which seem to devour all of your attention. Notably in this exhibition that Paige, you and I DM'd about very briefly is the inclusion of certain works, namely the Deep State Mapping Project by Dylan Lewis Monroe. You were curious about how the art was curated into the exhibition, and I checked on this actually in advance of our record. Dylan Lewis Monroe is not included in the list of artists in the exhibition. So the Deep State Mapping Project is strategically hung in the hallway between the different floors of the show. It's a curatorial gesture. I haven't spoken with the curator about this, but my assumption is that uh, because he's not listed as an artist, this is curated in as a ready-made object that gives context to all of the other works in the show. There's a ton of like research and different books and, you know, an enormous context to the exhibition, but it's not like taking wall space away from another artist. Maybe an important piece of context there. Oh, that's interesting because in the Q, in the Q show, they also kind of deal with some material like contextually in a similar way. The material will be described sort of on um, the website, but not not there on on site. Or they'll have cultural objects sort of on these islands, but then on the walls they have artworks, and the artworks have wall labels. But then there'll be more mm. like kind of cultural artifacts um, that are sort of gathered together in these clusters, these thematic clusters. And then you can look on an app and see like actually deep, very detailed descriptions of those objects. That's the thing that I find to be, you know, that's always what I found really interesting and compelling about art is that it exists in the real world, <laughs> you know, that there's a world outside of this and there are things that are significant or influential but might not be proper art, but all of these things coalesce to create meaning and shape society. So I kind of like, you know, in big institutional shows where there are things that are not proper artworks but lend context to the rest of it, I, I quite enjoy that type of curation. 
There was one thing I wanted to mention um, about the Deep State Mapping Project as, mm. as its inclusion in institutional shows is particularly interesting um, because it it comes from, like, the source of that comes from a kind of a very troubled sort of um, source. I mean, these are the things you cover all the time, but that's, a, but that's not a source that, um, that institutions are generally presenting or dealing with. It's interesting that that also being KW New Models being the show, because then I also think about what Carly serves, has talked about publicly about um, her leaving Texterkunst, about how like there was a discomfort in, at, at that institution about dealing like with that kind of material. Yes. You know, and it's funny, it's interesting. Well, I wrote about QAnon actually for Art Forum back in 2020. So I was researching some of like these kind of cultural things that were sort of emerging around QAnon, not because I was part of QAnon or sort of or part of that culture, but I was interested in what kind of aesthetics um, were emerging sort of out of out of this um, kind of cult, really. I'm, I'm canceling um, you right now. I'm commenting on your Instagram, conspiracy theorist. Well, well I'm, yeah, I mean, I've already gone public. It was published in our forum years ago. Um, but I remember uh, I also wrote like a critic's pick of another of another show around the same time where I was I was thinking about that aesthetic of of the deep state mapping project, and I mentioned it. Um, so you know, I was the one that had mm. uh, Dylan Louis Monroe mentioned in Art Forum. Um, I mean, obviously, this material, anything dealing with the internet is very difficult for the art world to metabolize, very difficult for museums to metabolize. But then if that material is also adjacent to extreme radical politics, that's like doubly difficult for them to work with. So it's taken a long time to, you know, have a rigorous conversation about any of these topics. And the inclusion, I guess we should maybe add context for people who are not familiar with German institutions, but the inclusion of these materials in a German institution is especially important because they have very rigid rules around far-right iconography and all sorts of things. You know, it, it is technically illegal and will uh, violate the funding of institutions. So to make the argument to properly and officially see, for example, a 20-foot wall of memes by Clusterduck, there's an amazing installation uh, as part of the KW show, and it includes all sorts of references like Wojaks and Pepe's and whatever that are pretty difficult for the art world to deal with given the evidence of the last few years. My hope is that this creates some type of a permission structure that it's okay to talk about these things. They're obviously very relevant and very influential, but museums have been a little bit scared to talk about them. Obviously, the exhibition has gone over quite well, and um, I think it will encourage other people to do the same thing. Should we mention also that uh, we saw each other, I don't know how many other times uh, last week, friend of the stream, Simon Denny, also opened an exhibition at Petzl Gallery Uptown. There's a group show on the second floor of that gallery, which includes many friends, many members of Do Not Research, people you've seen on the blog and so on. He also has an exhibition at Den Kunsthall across the street. And I was thinking that if you put together the square footage of all of these <laughs> exhibitions, Cute at Somerset House opened on January 25th. Poetics of Encryption at Cave opened February 16th, if I remember correctly. And the Simon Denny exhibitions opened on February 21st and February 22nd. So that's, you know, clustered within a month. There are three major exhibitions, massive amount of square footage devoted to these things. I'm totaling up all of Simon's shows, three different shows opening in the same city. And, you know, three different cities around the world that uh, feel quite remarkably different than the art of the last few years and are each really enmeshed and seriously engaging with the internet. Do you have any kind of thoughts about, I don't know, new trend forming? But it seems unmistakable that all of these big exhibitions are happening around the same time. Does that seem coincidental to you? 
No, it doesn't. It does feel like actually a, a watershed moment to me. What's interesting about Simon is, you know, he's he's I'm been kind of doing that work, like his work for, for some years now. So in a way, he's kind of his work is sort of like, well, like right. he's sort of like doing it and doing it. And so now it has like it has a kind of um, a resonance with these other things that are happening. Um, we have some younger artists. So that's maybe more kind of a tribute to, um, you know, just staying the course with with your aesthetic, regardless of like of trend as trends come and go. But I think it's I think it feels like a watershed moment, particularly like institutionally, like the right. fact that these are institutional shows like like there's been these project spaces like Blade Study and Uncanstala opening up in New York. And there's been more shows and things going on like this and, and things percolating outside of institutions for some time. But I think it's the scale of some of something like a, a German institution and then a major British institution at the same time doing shows that incorporate memes like that are dealing with and tackling the sort of um, mm. issue of how do we present this material like in and also relate to contemporary art, even just material formally. How do we present these? You know, Somerset House does it in this way where they create these islands of objects and then these sort of um, boards like with the memes where they'll show you the cultural artifact like the Jungleskog bear, and then they show you the meme of the Jungleskog bear. Um, <laughs> you know. So the fact that there, that institution is try, is trying to do this as opposed to before, um, where I think it was ignored. I think it's the kind of curatorial and institutional scale um, of this kind of material being presented and taken seriously. And particularly in the context of cute, it's mm. demanding, uh, provoking, I think, that this concept, this thematic cute, should be taken seriously. Because this is what Shan Nye proposes since like her book came out in 2012. So these ideas have been percolating in terms of academia. But this is a, a kind of um, a very broad, public-facing way to uh, on-ramp people into the idea that this kind of material should be taken seriously and that there's something interesting happening here to intellectually unpack. And it's not just about, it's not just about an uncritical embrace of consumer capitalism. To thread these two things together, I mean... Obviously, in the last few years, there's been an explosion of aesthetics that combine extreme radical politics and cute aesthetics. I'm thinking in particular of anime profile pictures. I'm thinking of miladies. I'm thinking of all sorts of different memes and, and what have you. <laughs> the kind of two things that are like most privileged on the internet are these like extreme ideas and kind of libidinal impulses. So clearly very influential, very influential posts in the last few years. Cute is very disarming and it's kind of hardwired into us where you see, I remember when Ed was doing the research for familiars, he was talking about, you know, the enlargement of eyes and, you know, a button nose and like pink colors and things like this, things that are uh, hardwired into human beings that make them want to care for infants, basically. All of those are these like deeply ingrained responses. And so wrapping extremist worldviews into cute packaging is a way of making something accessible. And yeah, obviously that has been uh, quite, quite effective in this case. I heard it put by a friend, I've heard it put by a few people that Trump put post-internet out of business. And what they mean by that is that there was a big scene, there were writers, artists, curators, collectors, there were entire galleries dedicated to this genre or this moment of art, maybe is a better word for it. And then alongside a market bubble that was back to back with just the insanity and the stimulus of Trump, where, you know, politics became not politics, but like American theater as politics, American daytime television as politics, just became the programming for like every museum, every publication. 
I would go to a show and like, you know, it was definitely work that was made like a year or two years before and then somehow shoehorned into the press release as like, this is the most important election of our lives type of shit. Do you have a sense of, I I guess what I was trying to game out in conversation with a few people is that there seems to be a moment cresting where people are once again very interested to talk about the internet, to devote curatorial budgets to it, to program shows around it, to commission essays and so on. And those are all things I really care about. That's the stuff that I want to see happen. But we are also on the threshold of an American election where there's the possibility that Trump may come back into the picture and uh, snuff all of the internet art out again. And we will just get this ultra reactionary turn towards identity and declarations of how Trump is actual fascism and democracy and, and whatever, yada, yada. We've heard it all before. Do you have a sense of like what American politics is going to do to this like opening in the art world? I feel like, you know, I know that people talk about the long 2016, but I actually do feel like things have changed since then, particularly in the past couple of years, I would even say since 2022 onward. So I don't think that Trump can sort of be given all the credit for the internet or internet culture or that or that everything that sort of has some relationship to the internet or to the digital can be uh, associated with him. I, I just don't think culture can be that naive. I guess I, I guess I'm optimistic, and I don't think we can be that naive again uh, or that repressive. And, you know, it's interesting. I was actually thinking about something that the curator of the KW shows, um, Nadim Saman, said about analog cultures of the digital. This was mm. um, a phrase that I was very interested. How he's saying one, once the complexity becomes too overwhelming, you have to use folklore, pictorial methods to explain it. Something is inherently code. Then you're back with analogy. You're doing analog cultures of the digital, and right. that's what I think is interesting and operative. So you know, he curated the Kyle W. Show. So that that I think that's operative in that sh- in that show, as far as I can tell. And I certainly think it's operative in the cute show and in my work in particular. Is that I was saying this when I was doing um, walkthroughs of my Blade Study show. Is that you know just because this thing is not 3D printed or is not a video, or is not online yet, you know, then it goes and circulates online, of course, because this is an oil painting, or because this is a pile of ash on the floor, you know, there were sculptures in that show where I just had graphite dust. This is talking about the digital. This Mm. is an artifact of digital. This is an artifact of always having your experience funneled through online and mediated through, through a digital platform. It doesn't have to use that medium per se for it to be inflected by it. And I feel that this is very important to understanding um, a culture, and I think it's very important for art right now to deal with that, that no matter what it is, I think we have to think about it and its relationship to the digital and what the internet has done to us. I told that friend that Trump didn't put post-internet out of business. He just transferred me to a different department. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then you get all sorts of other experiments that happen because of it. You get organizations like Do Not Research, you get podcasts, you get Substacks, And yeah, I just feel like it's going to be a very interesting few years because we're going to get this supercharged load of politics again, but then we're also going to have a robust institutional programming and artists that are capable to comment on it. Which is what I'd always hoped for is to like leverage the aesthetic expertise of artists and institutions onto the emergent behaviors and mimetic activity of the internet. And I, I thought that that was a useful thing to talk about. And there were some things that we could discuss better because we understood aesthetics compared to journalists who maybe didn't spend as much time online or maybe weren't as familiar with how images operate and, and all of the complexities that you're describing. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. 
I did the book launch with Simon, so we're going to actually hear from him on probably the way this podcast will come out is that they're maybe back to back or a week apart or something like that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm very excited and I, and dare I say optimistic about this moment that three major exhibitions in three major cities all talking seriously about the internet that I'm feeling optimistic for the first time in a few years. So Paige, thank you so much for calling in. I've got your Instagram on the screen. Do you want to give uh, just a plug, anything you have coming up? I guess I might mention that um, the book that's part of the artwork in the Somerset House show, it's also at Petzl right now as part of that Simon Denny group show. Of course, so you yeah. You can get yeah. a copy there, actually. You can, yeah. you can read it there. Yeah, excellent. Paige, thank you so much for calling in. I'm just such an immense fan of your work, and I really appreciate your contributions in the Discord, your appearance on the New Models podcast. Every time I hear you talk about art, you shift my perspective, and your contributions have just been, yeah, so valuable in shaping my ideas about this space in the last few years. So thank you so much for chatting with us tonight. Brad, thank you. Thanks, Paige. All right, talk soon. Thanks for listening. This is an independent show. If you like this content, you can help to show your support by subscribing and leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can support the show on Substack or Patreon. Find me on socials at Joshua Citarella. This is a listener-supported show. I don't do any advertising, so your support is really what keeps this project going. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. Thanks, man.